Welcome back, everybody, to That Recruiter Show with Rodney Stigall and David York. Welcome back, David. Episode three Good for to you, be here. man. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is the third one. I'm really enjoying it. I uh, I will tell you, I, you know, we got a little bit um, of commentary after we posted it. And so mm-hmm. I was really, really excited to see some of the comments that people people had about it. Um, interestingly, and maybe this is just the crowd that responded, but, you know, a lot of people agreed with kind of our general take on yeah. the return to office, uh, which which um, I thought was was nice. But uh, but overall, really, really good, man. I'm I'm uh, I'm very much enjoying it. And I love the topics. Yeah, it's, you know, it's super fun. And I, I think to your point, it's funny that that people who commented seem to agree. And I wonder, you know, that's probably the level that we're we're at, right? I think if if we pulled the C-suite, they'd be like, "What are you guys talking about? Shut up!" <laughs> yeah, well, that's exactly that is exactly my inference with that. You might you might have other people that are like, "Well, yeah." I saw a funny comment today. It was like there are exactly two types of people in the world. There are those who can draw inferences from incomplete data. <laughs> That's a good one, man. That's a good one. That is a good one. I like it. I like it. Yeah, you know, and there's probably something there's it's a little bit of an elephant in the room that I think I wanted to just address and certainly, you know, chime in. And, you know, I think a lot of people probably tune into the show and they're like, okay, I this is that recruiter show. How come you're not talking about sourcing and closing candidates and negotiations and things like that? And, you know, in my mind, those are absolutely things that, you know, we will or if we haven't already addressed. But some of these things are are items that you have to be conversant in as a recruiter, as a business person, and they're going to help you. And, you know, if you're talking about return to work, you know, typically these days, that's one of the first questions a candidate's going to ask you is about mm-hmm. being remote or hybrid. And you have to be conversant in it and you have to understand it and be able to kind of have a conversation at, you know, probably two or three steps above you, right, um, as you relay that, because as recruiters, we straddle the internal and outside world and we run into things first um, as recruiters. And so we've, we've got to be able to have those kind of business level discussions and be conversant in a lot of these topics. Um, and, and so from my perspective, I think it's just as important for a recruiter to, to be on the ball with these things and, and be conversant in them as they are a Boolean search stream. And I, I don't know what, what you think about that. But. I, I would agree. And, and I would even, I would even add to that, the importance of it, kind of the why behind it, right? And the way I the way I look at it when I talk to candidates, you know, even you know, back when I was, you know, more of an individual contributor, but even even now, you know, as we've we've grown and been able to coach people and things, what I think is really, really important is being able to give candidates context. Mm-hmm. You know, and and part of that is understanding the business strategy around Whatever the whatever your company is deciding to do, whether it's return to office, not return to office, some sort of hybrid, whatever it is, and if nothing else, you can give that candidate appropriate context, and they can agree or disagree. Mm-hmm. That's completely up to the candidate, or, or they can like it or not like it. But at the end of the day, as a recruiter, you come off as much more of an advisor, either to your hiring managers or to candidates, when you have the context around whatever the mandate is. And and again, I, I just think that that enables you to perform at that much of a higher level when you know that stuff and to your point are conversant in it, can explain it and make sure that the candidate understands. And then the candidate again can decide whatever they want to do based on whatever you give them. Right. Completely agree. Completely agree. And, you know, to be honest, at some point we're going to go down the rabbit hole on a lot of these things, whether it's negotiating, closing candidates, all that stuff. Um, But 
these are also topics that are pertinent to us today, right? And I think mm-hmm. things like negotiation, or we we kind of talked about sourcing team structure at one point. Um, you know, those are all things we need to know. But I, to be honest, I don't think we'll ever kind of address a Boolean string episode. But <laughs> everybody, everybody will tune out if we do that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I don't think you know we're not here to necessarily have a cookbook for people. And and I I think what we're trying to do is bring more value. And, and help you grow as a business person and give you perspectives and things like that. But I don't think that we're necessarily trying to produce a cookbook. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I think this is, it is more in my mind anyway, and, and certainly we can, we can pivot here and there, but in my mind, it is more of the business side of things that impact people, whether it's, it's for, through the recruiting lens, whether it's through more of just a, an employee engagement or whatever lens, the kind of the people side of it, right? Mm-hmm. That's how I look at all of this. And every, so everything that we talk about, the lens with which I, I try to talk about it and the lens I look through is just around, okay, so you've got a thing, right? So it's return to office, it's AI or today's topic, which we'll get into in a moment. It's how do those things impact what you're able to do as a recruiter, how does it impact candidates? How does it impact even maybe you as an employee? Um, and then certainly understanding how it's impacting other employees within a company because all of that matters and all of that will ultimately come back and impact how you, how effective you will be able to recruit for any given company in any given role. Mm-hmm. So, so that's the lens with which I look at it in the context with which I look at it. And so hopefully that's what's helpful to people when when they hear what we're talking about and can can potentially even bring it to bear in conversations, hopefully they learn you know some right. some nuggets here and there and can bring it to bear in conversations that they're having with a peer, their boss, maybe it's somebody that they're supervising, or certainly or certainly a candidate, right? So so hopefully again that that's that's what people are are, are going to get out of 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 the stuff that we talk about. Yeah, I agree. It's all about the perspective, right? It's it's our perspective. Mm-hmm. From, from a recruiter's perspective, but again, we're not, we're not trying to train you. <laughs> right. Exactly. And, and a lot of the stuff too, it's not even whether it's a right or a wrong, mm-hmm. it is more of a, it, it, the pros and the cons is kind of how I would put it. Right. And right. what's right for some person might not be right for another person. And, uh, but, but the reality of it is, is there is an impact from, all these things we're talking about one way or another mm-hmm. and, and understanding that and, and, and being a step ahead to understand what the impact could be, I think is, is the key. Right. 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 And I think, you know, your, your, you know, uh, perspective on the perspective of a recruiter is probably a very good intro into our next topic. Yep. Do you want to introduce it? Talk about it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I do. So the the topic of today, we want to talk about shareholders versus stakeholders. And for those of you that that may not necessarily understand that distinction, because a lot of times, in, in all honesty, those do, those two things are used interchangeably a lot, right? Um, and they ne- they shouldn't necessarily be. And and so just definitionally, you know, shareholders really at the very top level, a shareholder is somebody that owns a share. In a company, right? So if you own a, you know, one unit of stock in Amazon or Meta or whatever, you know, you are a shareholder. With that, you are not, you know, you you have ownership. 
you have, you know, in most cases you have some level of voting rights. I mean, how watered down that is or not, you know, depends, I think, <laughs> on how many shares you have, certainly. Um, but you're not liable for the company's debts. You could p- potentially receive dividends. Um, and if you really are pretty active, an active investor, you can sue the company's directors right. if you don't like where they're going, right? You know, and that's that's what a shareholder is. So so you, you reap the value of, 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 of the company depending on a lot of factors, which we'll talk about. You know, stakeholders... On the other side of that is kind of everybody else that's impacted by whatever the company does, right? So stakeholders are employees. Actually, technically, shareholders are also stakeholders. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your customers, whoever benefits from your products, um, you know, the any, communities any, that you're in, the communities that you're in, you know, anybody even that you're dealing with in, in your overall supply chain, you know, bondholders, like whatever, right? So it's everything else, um, and it's a big bucket. And it's a very important bucket, which is why we want to talk about that, because if you think about it, and we see this a lot, and, and, and I have a, a, probably a bit of a tainted, cynical view. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of people but do. <laughs> it, right. But in reality, you, know, you have to start thinking about you know, um, how do companies behave? Yeah. And what is their – who are they really serving? And that's why it's kind of a fun topic to, to really start to differentiate shareholders versus stakeholders and then talk about like, well, what do companies really do and what what is their their North Star, whether they say it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so th- so I think it's kind of a fun topic that, that we're going to be getting into today. Did I miss did I miss anything? No, no, no. And, and I think it is fun because I think if you if you have that lens, you can really look at companies um, because there are no small amount of companies that talk a lot about stakeholder value. And on the surface, you would think that they're kind of invested in the stakeholder or stakeholder model of running the company. But when you start to peel back behaviors um, and, and look at what behavior rules the day, it's completely shareholder value. And, and yeah. by that, I think, you know, if, if we look at the most egregious, you know, behaviors around a company that operates purely on shareholder value um, methodology, I guess what we call it, or paradigm, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's really kind of chasing the quarter to quarter profits and projections, right? So, you know, what the, and I've seen it so bad as where the companies aren't even projecting to Wall Street what they're going to make, but they're listening to what analysts are saying and and really kind of building their numbers based on what analysts say and saying, okay, that's our number. And we're going to go make that number. And in pursuit of making that, whether it's an earning per share number, revenue, whatever it might be, um, that becomes the primary goal of the organization. So if if you have to cut costs to make that number, then so be it. You know, you're going to see layoffs come out of that. If, you know, sometimes you see accounting practices that line up with that. Um, share buybacks, whatever you have to do to make that number. Um, versus a, a more stakeholder view of things where, yes, that number is important, but it's not everything. And, you know, we have to make sure that we're taking care of our employees. They are stakeholders and just as important to this process as the shareholders, um, the communities that we operate in. So we can't poison our communities if you're a manufacturing company um, or, right. or just giving back to your communities. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Things like that. So. In a nutshell, just expanding on, on what you said, I think if you look at behaviors, those are some different behaviors that you tend to see. One hundred percent, and it 
And unfortunately, I think, and, and there's a, a very sort of sad place you can go with, with some of these companies' behaviors as it relates to pursuing the shareholders. And, and even if you want to go back, you can start thinking about things like Enron. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and 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 Worldcom, right? Way back in that was the early two thousands. Can I tell um, you a really sad story about Worldcom? Yeah, oh, I'd love to hear it. So I was at L three Harris when they melted down, and and that at that point it was really fast. It was Enron, Worldcom, um, who else? Like all the telecom providers just mm-hmm. melted down completely. And at the time, I remember I was recruiting for an FAA project, so. The company I was at was was going to become the telecom provider for the FAA, essentially. So we ended up hiring a bunch of people from these companies. And one of the guys that I hired from WorldCom went from having a million dollars in his 401k. And he had heavily kind of invested his 401k program in WorldCom to basically being worthless. And I felt so bad. But, you know, that's one of those. I, I think Enron and all, all those are perfect examples of... You know, running shareholder value and then melting down. Yeah, absolutely. And doing some funny things uh, to to try to bolster mm-hmm. their balance sheets and things. Again, you know, going back to the analyst side of it, right, which it's this vicious cycle if you look at it, right? So companies are beholden to these numbers and numbers that they put out. And, and, and I'll even use Amazon as an example, right? here recently, you know, they came out and the numbers were pretty good. And in some cases, I, I'm trying to remember if it was last quarter or the quarter before, they 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 were highly profitable, but didn't meet mm-hmm. the 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 targets. Right. So you get punished for that, right? Even if you are profitable, yeah. if you don't if you don't meet the analyst targets, you get punished somehow. Usually and usually how you get punished is in the stock price. Mm-hmm. And when you're talking about a company like Amazon, and I know that there are others, particularly in the world of tech, that rely heavily on you know, RSUs and things to compensate employees, mm-hmm. you know, now you've, you've got a bigger problem, right? So your shareholders are pissed off, like your external folks. And if your employees, all of a sudden their compensation is hit, yeah, they're pissed off. So, so you look at just those, just those two things alone, what is that company going to do to try to bolster that stock price to, to correct mm-hmm. two very large issues at once? And, and I think we've seen what Amazon's take on it is right um right and so you know twenty seven thousand plus people later um (laughs) you know we have seen we have seen (laughs) it's a big number and you know not not a giant percentage of amazon overall but but still a huge number and a lot of lives that are impacted right Mm -hmm. and um at the end of the day we have seen the stock go up in amazon a little bit um also because i think their last earnings report was pretty good um but you know again it speaks very directly to what is management thinking and again you said it perfectly it's it's what are their actions not what are they saying right right and you know fundamentally nothing changed with amazon it's not a better company after all of that it's not you know nothing fundamental but perception right so you did the things that Mm -hmm. that are going to get you where you want to be but fundamentally it didn't really I don't know. I'm trying to think of the way to, to say this, but you didn't fundamentally change your business right. to get there. Um, and, you know, it reminds me when you remember Sun Microsystems. Oh, 100 percent. So when when they melt, they didn't melt down. But, you know, when the dot com boom just just completely wiped out a bunch of people, 
I remember their CEO wrote a letter to shareholders and it was, it was kind of like a, you got what you asked for. And it was, we were trading and you know, it's funny because you look at now these, this number is bigger, but we're trading at, at 10 X our revenue. Mm -hmm. And what he was saying is for me to deliver 10 times our, our revenue to you as a shareholder, I would have to maintain or grow our, our annual revenue for the next decade and, and return to you all of it. And, and that, so that assumes that we have zero cost to sales. We have zero overhead. We have zero taxes. You're not going to get taxed. What's the likelihood of that? And so, you know, I, I can't take responsibility for our stock price being what it was because there were assumptions baked into it from you as shareholders that I could never deliver. Mm -hmm. Which is interesting. I don't see anyone saying that now. Which <laughs> no, no, but I but I think that it, I I think that specter exists in a big way. Mm -hmm. Um and and you see some of these and I think it's really highlighted in tech more than anything, but you are seeing it in other sectors as well, just not as much. But you know, you've it's it, again it goes back to this perception versus reality. Mm -hmm. And and there's even when you start to talk about layoffs, you know, as part of it too, right? And and this goes down to kind of this the perception lane is when, when companies typically do layoffs like this, unless they're making a material restructure or something like that, it typically doesn't actually provide any any real benefit. It's the optics in the moment mm -hmm. that it provides, right? But it doesn't necessarily change, um, and it doesn't even actually end up saving you that much money because there's usually a lot of costs that go along with, right. you know, having to let these people go, and then conversely, in you know. 12 or 18 months when you need to hire a bunch of these people back, now you've got to go through all the costs to hire the people back. So if you look at that in totality, it's probably a wash or worse. Um, but again, in the moment, it gave the perception that you were doing something. You were being active mm -hmm. to change some direction to, quote unquote, help the company, right? That's that, And that is, that is not a great way to to do things in my mind, right. um, you right. know, and, and, and we can pick on so, I don't want to pick on him. I'm not picking on Amazon. And so to my Amazon friends, I'm not picking on Amazon, but I think people understand it because it's in the news so much. Yeah. So I'm exactly, I'm not picking on, you know, Amazon was good to me and, until January. But <laughs> um, uh, you and me both, my friends, but you know, to, to look at that, you start talking, looking at perception and what are analysts saying. There was, you know, if there, there was a point, right, which was, are you betting on the right things with your internal investments? And are you are you too patient with some of your other investments? So, you know, naturally, there were some things that needed to be addressed there. And I, I don't think fundamentally they were wrong. But I think the correction was massive compared to what the question was. Mm hmm. And, and I think that speaks to the perception piece of what you're saying. Um, yep. You know, a lot of these things are, are rooted in in reality or a great point. Um, you know, I think if you look at a Carl Icahn, and that's a whole other thing. I don't know if you oh, Completely <laughs> other thing, yes. Um, you know, he he comes in and, and he raids, and but he has points to make when he does it about businesses that can turn around if they do these things. Again, I think the reaction to that is just completely out of proportion. But mm -hmm. 
but that's, I think that gets to the core of it, right? So are you going to swing 100% towards providing shareholders what they want? Or how do you take into account your stakeholders, which again, gosh, I, I'm not picking on Amazon here, but again, it's just, it's in the news. We can say meta or Google or any number of companies. When, mm-hmm. you, when you come back and say, you know what, we do have a fiduciary responsibility to our shareholders to manage this company in the best way possible to give them the best returns possible. To balance that with tens of thousands of people that you're going to put out of work as part of that fiduciary responsibility. What responsibility do you have to those stakeholders who are your employees in the communities that you live in who are going to, you know, I don't know about Seattle, but, you know, a lot of communities can't handle large layoffs in their in their economies because Mm -hmm. it's just a massive hit. How do you balance that if you're a CEO? Not to say I ever want to be in that position, but it's it's how do you do that? Right. It's hard. Yeah, no, it is. It's, it's hard. And I think you have, you know, different CEOs react differently. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think you can, you know, in some respects, arguably contrast back to the Amazon example, you know, uh, Jeff Bezos and Andy Jassy's approach to things. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think it's, it's different. And I'm, I'm not necessarily saying one's better or worse necessarily. I mean, I, I do have an opinion on it, but at the same time, um, you know, I do think I felt like Jeff Bezos was in it a little bit more for the long haul than Andy Jassy is. Mm-hmm. And granted, though, there there have been some changes in the economy and all that too. But um, but I but I think that he Jeff Bezos seemed to want to fail faster in most cases, mm-hmm. it, at least in my mind. And I can go down the Alexa route all day long because I think that's just an interesting story in and of itself. Um, but. But but you can you can argue that with a lot of different CEOs, mm-hmm. right? It's it's what is the, what is what is their philosophy? And I do think that some are more ruthless than others. Meaning some are it's shareholder all day long, and you know I you could probably argue like Jack Welch probably oh, would be gosh, in that yeah. camp, yeah, yeah, to say the least, right? And so you know where some I think are are a little a little more long term and will stomach some of the the ups and downs to get the overall value over time. And I think as an investor, right, if you're a shareholder, you know, you, you can factor that into your investment strategy, right? Mm-hmm. And, and if that's just not a company that you want to be a part of, so be it. Um, you know, but again, you can look back at a lot of companies to be like, if I had invested a thousand dollars in XYZ company <laughs> back in, you know, like 19, whatever, you know, I'd have, you know, like 50 X that right now kind of a thing. And, and so, um, but I think the world we live in now, too, impacts this. And what I mean by that is the information flow is so fast and so furious all the time mm-hmm. that I think our, our, the way we live today, and I think this permeates – now I'm getting philosophical – this permeates into, into CEOs' brains and companies and things. It's, it's react now, react now, react now. Instant gratification kind mm-hmm. of a play. Uh, and I think that, that we see that a whole lot more despite what people are saying. Well, I think you have a vicious loop, too, because executive mm-hmm. compensation is so tied to stock price now that right. to what you said earlier, if if you don't react fast enough and well enough to what analyst concerns are in your stock, stock price, you're going to take a personal hit on that. Now, 
as a as a rank and file employee, you probably say, I don't care because the guy makes 300x more than I do. But if if you're that CEO, you don't want to take that big of a hit. And so it's you, you're it's a loop, right? So you're constantly going to care what shareholders think because your compensation's tied to it in a huge way. Um, right. And I, I think there are some changes that need to be made to that model. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything wrong with equity, equity compensation. I don't, let's get that out of the way. Right. But, but I think you want to, you're, you're disproportionately um, creating consequences for this from the stock price on your behaviors. Does that make sense? Right. 100%. Well, it yeah, and I said another way, I would say it it is your motivation is probably more self-serving than it should be because of how you're incented yeah. in your in your compensation. And that and, and that's not even a knock. That's that's like a human nature thing. Yeah. You know, it's like if the rules are set up in such a way, you're going to behave within that paradigm in such a way. And again, that may serve the interest of some, but very much not serve the interest of others. And 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 to balance it, and this is why it's I don't know that anybody ever gets it totally right because it's so impossible to balance. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you're it, absolutely right because now we bring the stakeholders into it. Right? There's mm-hmm. really no way to balance that scale for them. If if you're the community, and whether you're in Melbourne, Florida, or Santa Clarita, or Seattle, or LA or Menlo Park, wherever it might be, you really don't have much of a say other than like the political pieces of it, right? Mm-hmm. And so you, you don't have the amount of power that a shareholder has. Your community doesn't come to your shareholder meetings unless they're a shareholder to vote. Um, right. That's a tough thing. Same thing with your employees. If, if they're not a, a sizable block of your shareholders, they, they can always you know, talk with their feet and leave, but they don't really balance out shareholders when it comes to decision-making. Um, no, not at all. You're, you're kind of at the whim of, of the organization doing what they feel is right by them. Um, same thing. If like, if you start talking about environmental concerns and things like that, there really isn't anything to balance out the shareholder concerns. No. And if you want to go down, it's interesting you mentioned the environmental because I was literally going to bring this up right after that, what you were saying, Ronnie, because and it just segued it perfectly for me, is think about the train derailment mm-hmm. recently and all the chemicals that got spilled and all the things that they did wrong, subsequently burning the chemical, all that, all yeah. that right? Um, you know, and I don't think that they tried to burn the chemicals to make things worse. That's not what I'm saying, but it did make things worse. But the the fact that they're trying to tell these people in these in this community and then now some surrounding communities um, that no 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 you're fine mm-hmm. it's like but my skin burns no 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 you're fine right you know we've tested the water we've tested the water you're fine it's like um, it it tastes like death you know mm-hmm. and and so and and I think that is the like the worst it, in my mind recently that's kind of some of the worst corporate behavior I've seen. Yeah. Um, you know, because they're literally putting people's lives at risk to try and preserve a narrative to, to get back to trying to preserve value for their shareholders. Right. Right. And rather than just taking the culpability of it all and saying like, yeah, we screwed this up. We're going to make right by, by all this. And here's what we got to do. And, and, and taking the, the more, what I would call more human approach, they're taking that more, 
shareholder approach, which uh, unfortunately I think is leaving these poor people out to out to dry in 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 what now is probably going to be a dead town. Yeah, well, it's e- it's easier to do right when you start talking about mm-hmm. the incentives that are out there and 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 the way everything is set up. And I don't think this is intentional in any way possible. I think it's just the system that we have. And mm-hmm. but it is much easier to kind of delay things from a legal perspective and fight and you can spread out your legal fight over a decade and you're not going to take an immediate hit on your profits. So you can deny, 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 deny until a court suddenly says you can't deny it anymore. And again, Mm -hmm. that's, that'll take 10 years and you can fight the EPA. You can fight and all those things um, you're incentivized to do to make sure that your shareholders are well taken care of. And shareholders, to be honest, we're all shareholders. We have 401ks. We have investments. I don't care. I just want my money. You know what I mean? Like, I don't I don't want to be a bag holder. I don't want to have paid $50 a share for something. And then it goes down to five. Mm-hmm. And so there's two sides of that. I'm of two sides. I don't own any shares in that company. Um, get it up. But I get it. And, and it's just the way it's – I get it in the sense that that's the way it's set up. Mm-hmm. You know? I, I just, and I don't know how to change it. Like, how do you change something like that? Right. Well, you know, it's funny that it gets into even a bigger sort of um, discussion or debate. It's, I mean, it's the system, you know, and we're, we're pointing out some of the, the, the bad behaviors and things. And so we're probably skewing this a little bit more than, um, than, than it needs to be in some respects, mm-hmm. but um, it's capitalism. You know, and and I will just say straight away, I'm I am a capitalist. Period. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think and I, and I think capitalism is the best system that has ever existed. And there, you know, there's a lot of people now that might disagree with me, but it, you know, it's the only system that's been able to lift so many people out of poverty in such a way that it has. But it is not perfect, mm-hmm. and and so therefore, then it, it is it, it is what what do you do? And I think it's it's like a lot of things. You've got a structure and a system. Mm -hmm. And within that system, you can have bad behavior that is a choice of companies, right? But again, you you, you get punished or rewarded for your behavior in a lot of ways. And it's probably not that black and white, but I think that that's part of it. It, you know, and you, but you also have companies within this system that do behave appropriately. Yeah. You know, that do, I think, strike a pretty good balance of shareholder value and, um, and stakeholder value. And so, and I, you know, and, and, and these aren't even just publicly traded companies that I'm necessarily thinking of, but I think that, um, you know, you've got a lot of big private companies, partnerships, those kinds of things that, that actually do do a lot of good stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and I think it struck a, a pretty good balance, at least from what I can see. And so I, I do think that you do have the, the good players within the system too. So the system itself it's set up in such a way that there's enough, you know, it's got guardrails, but, but within those guardrails, there's enough leeway to, to, you know, to go to the dark side or to stay on the light side or stay somewhere in the middle. And, and companies can choose to behave within those guardrails in such a way that they choose. And then I think it's incumbent upon the stakeholders and the shareholders to, to hold them accountable. And to your point though, a lot of the shareholders, they just want their money. And they're not necessarily mm-hmm. thinking about a company that that is doing some of the things. And, and again, you've got the extremes, right, of companies that are like poisoning water in Flint, Michigan. Right. Um, you, you know, and 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 I hopefully 
people, shareholders will go like, well, I'm not being a part of that. But it's usually not that cut and dry. No. At all. You know, it's far more nebulous, far more hard to see. And so, but it does get back to just want my money, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I bet dollars to donuts that there are people at Amazon that are seeing that stock price go up going, phew. Yeah. You know, yeah. didn't get laid off and they're like, oh, All thank good. God, because that means, that means my RSUs are going to be worth more <laughs> when I invest next year. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, and by the way, I'm not, that's good on them. Like I'm not, I'm not even saying that they shouldn't be feeling that yeah, way. No hard feelings. Like. You know, no hard feelings whatsoever. That's their reality. Right. Mm-hmm. And they've got to feed their families too. And that's where they are. But at the same time, you know, does it, how does this impact companies that do show some bad behavior here and there? Does it hurt their hiring? Does it hurt their stock price long-term? Who knows? Right. You know, everything, nobody has a crystal ball. And so, you know, so, so companies will make the choices that they make, but, but I, I do think that there is some level of benevolence within the system. So I don't know that it's throw out the system. Cause I think you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater if you do right. that. Um, but you know, but the system exists in such a way that I think, it has it is set up to provide a lot of positives for our society. Agreed. So there, oh, two points. There's a great book. I don't know if you're familiar with Thomas Piketty. I have heard the name actually. So he wrote a book called Capital, which was oh gosh, it's probably ten years old now. And mm. if, if you if you haven't read it, I, I suggest you give it a shot. I say give it a shot in the sense that it's an eight eight hundred page economics book. <laughs> um. But I think there's enough commentary about that book now that you can probably go. There's there's enough commentary to read around it. From right, you don't have to be an economist to go read it. Um, Give me the cliff notes. I I need the cliff notes. Yeah, and and so what he did is is he went all the way back to the French Revolution tax records and up to the present to really look at capitalism and as a model. And what he found was really interesting was was such that once capital gets to a certain point, it's unstoppable. And um, it, it gets to a point where unless there's a, a force acted upon it, it will continue to grow and, and grow and grow and grow to the expense of everything else. Mm-hmm. And, and so that was a, it was a scary thing in that sense, but it made sense. That's why we have taxes, right? So, you know, people can't go and just create monopolies and run away with everything. You don't have any more standard oils and things like that. Right. But it speaks to what you're what you're talking about, which, you know, capitalism in and of itself is not a bad thing. <clears throat> it becomes about how about balance. Mm-hmm. And I think in good times, most companies, you're not going to tell the difference if they're if they're operating under a like complete shareholder paradigm. Like all I care about is the stock price. Some of them you can tell. But most they're going to have enough programs, whether it's an ESG program, diversity programs, you know, we have 10,000 volunteer hours a year in the community. <clears throat> You're not going to notice the difference until something like mm-hmm. this happens. And then you see. Right. Right. I mean, so I think a, there's a lot of companies that are just rolling under the radar because things are good. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're meeting expectations. They've got the cash to invest in some of these other things. Um, whether it's an ESG program, a DEI program, um, you know, volunteer hours in the community or subsidizing volunteers, subsidizing things, programs in the community. It's easy because they're flush. Nothing bad has happened. No magnifying glass has come up and said, you did what? And I think until that happens, it's hard to tell in some cases. Mm-hmm. And 
um, you know, it's it's not until some of these things come out, whether it's it's, you know, oh, you've been polluting for gosh, you know, you think about like industrial farming, like what that does to to the communities, like how what does that look like, right? If we go and look at whether it's Monsanto or whatever, I'm again I'm not picking on any any companies. Right. But a lot of that flies under the radar when you don't have the magnifying glass on you. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of it flies under the radar if you're not a household name. Like we've, we've yeah. talked a lot about Amazon, I think, and, and really specifically because it is a household name and mm-hmm. it, or, or a Google or a Meta. And you've probably made similar arguments across all of those. But, you know, Monsanto, known, but probably not a household name, mm-hmm. for example. Right. And then, and that's just, and then you could probably pick a whole host of others. Like people probably, you know, don't know who BASF is broadly. Right. You know, but they, and that's they don't make the products you buy, they make the products you buy better. That's exactly right. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh my God. I can't remember. You, you can't believe you remember that tagline. <laughs> um, but, you know, so there's a lot of point. There's a lot of very large companies and then small companies and mid sized companies. VC investors, mm-hmm. PE companies, all of these these things, right? That that exist. That unless it gets reported on, you'll never even know. Yeah, you know, um, or they make a movie about it, like Aaron Brockovich, right? <laughs> yeah. And so, um, you know, it's like you won't even know about these things. And to your point, I think, and I think it's so spot on. It's like it's easy to. I'm going to say behave for lack of a better term. It's easy to, to behave when times are good, mm-hmm. but when your feet are held to the fire and times are bad, that's where you really get to see what's most important to these companies. Right. So, you know, profits thin, the market gets harder to invest in or, or it gets harder to raise capital. And then all of a sudden, you know, here you are, like, are you going to drop employees? Are you going to drop your, your community programs? Are you going to stop investing in those communities? Or are you going to stop your ESG programs? Are you going to trim that back? And I think until you're in that position, it's hard to tell what a company's going to do. And I, but I think that's exactly when you find out, are they really subscribing to a shareholder value model or a stakeholder value model? Mm-hmm. And it's really, really hard. Um, Otherwise, how can you tell, you know what I mean? And until times get tough, right? Because if you're flush with cash, all, what is it? A high tide rise raises all boats. Yep. Exactly. Well, and you're seeing it even in some companies right now that speaking of kind of the ESG and the DEI side of things, right? It's a lot of DEI stuff got cut yeah. in these tech layoffs a lot. And, and that I've, I've read enough about it, but I think that goes under the radar a little bit, but but if that's something that you really care about, and, and a lot of people do, it's it's um, that's something to know, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and there's far fewer, you know. I, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the DEI stuff came about in such a big way, you know, after some of the some of the unrest we had after George Floyd, um, you know. And now that's you know that's not such a hot topic in the news anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I, I it, you know. And to see these tech companies do stuff like that, it's like, okay, I, I see what you were doing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, you know, how committed were you really to begin with? 100%. But to you, like, like, just as you're saying, you don't know until times get tough. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, most people aren't paying attention to this stuff. 
I got a family to feed. You got a family to feed. I got interests outside of this stuff, right? I'm more interested in scuba diving than I am scouring the internet for, for companies that are, you know, that have bad behaviors. So when, when they come knocking, you probably don't know. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. unless they've been Mm -hmm. in the news in a major way, you're kind of like, Oh, cool. Okay. It's just like, it's just like a girl telling you she's got a crush on you in middle school. It's just like, I don't care what she looks like. It's pretty cool. And someone says they like you, (laughs) you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? So someone says, Hey, we're, we're interested in you. It's like, Oh, okay, that's cool. And so we start talking or whatever. And then you don't know until you start doing all this research and you're like, "Eh." right. You know, and, and probably boils down to leadership. Oh, it for sure does. And I would even say that a lot of leaders that get into these, some of these positions, I don't know that they always even know at first where mm-hmm. they stand. You know, they, and, and I think that, that it's sometimes it's when their feet get held to the fire that they have to start making the decisions on where they stand. Yeah. You know, and, and that, you know, good, good or bad. I think that, that, you know, that's, it tests these people it tests these leaders and they behave accordingly and you get to see where they stand. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I mean, how do you take a stand? I'm trying to think of a, of a leader who's taken a stand that just said, look, we're not going to lay a bunch of people off um, just because everyone else is or, or just because we we know a recession's coming. And the only one I can think of that has, has done anything like that has been Apple. Mm-hmm. And I, I, but, but, but Apple, you know, it's interesting about that. And you're right in that they haven't had to lay a lot of people off. I think they've had a couple little layoffs um, around some restructures, actually, too, not even – the same sorts of reasons, but they also were a whole lot more measured in their hiring mm. the whole time, you know? And so you have a lot of the tech companies that just exploded and decided that they needed to hire, you know, just thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And, and they, they made the wrong bets on where things were going mm-hmm. and they weren't measured in it. And so then, you got to see what's happened at Meta and Google and Salesforce and and certainly Amazon and all that. Whereas Apple and I've actually there's great you can see there's graphs out there actually that show like you know I think and I might have these numbers wrong so don't quote me on this if, if anybody wants to fact check and give me a Pinocchio but um, <laughs> you know it's like Amazon went up you know hundreds of percentage points right like I yeah. can't remember what the number is it's huge whereas Apple went up like I don't know thirty or forty percent over the same time period, mm-hmm. you know, and you get to see like, and it's different levels of, if you're looking at a graph, right. That's how my head is functioning right now. You know, you, you see very steep climb in headcount at Amazon, pretty darn steep climb at meta and Salesforce. And then Apple is kind of a measured, it's not flat. I mean, it's growth, mm-hmm. but it's far more measured and arguably more like what you would see take the pandemic out of it, right? What you would see in just a normal sort of prosperous time. Right. Whereas these other companies, I think, you know, just gone on that, the bandwagon that, you know, nobody's ever going back It's work. And, mm-hmm. you know, everybody's going to do everything remote. Everybody's going to order everything online. And I'm betting you the know, farm on Zoom. <laughs> betting the farm on Zoom. Yeah, Zoom <laughs> laid a bunch of people off. Um, and, it, you know, or, or like people are going to be in the metaverse and the metaverse is going to bring people together. And I'm mm-hmm. like, eh. <laughs> you know, and so we already, um, had, we already had second life, my man. Yeah, exactly right. And so you you had all of that happen, and and these people made decisions. And you know, I will say the one thing to Zuckerberg's credit, at least he admitted it. I mean, that doesn't help yeah. all those thousands of people who got laid off, but he did admit it. I don't know that I've heard others admit it in quite the same way. Maybe I've just missed it. So again, don't quote me. But it it's it's I don't know. It's just it's just 
Apple's behavior, and it just I go back to Tim Cook on that, and I go, I don't know, mm-hmm. that guy knows stuff that everybody else doesn't seem to know. Right. Or um, I think he's just willing know, to do or, things that other people aren't doing. Yeah, which is why Apple is what it is. Yeah, they're not being driven to do things in the same in the same way. Like you remember when ChatGPT just kind of took the world by storm? What was that November? Yeah. How long did it take for Google to be like, oh, we're going to have something out? Yep, absolutely. So I I don't think that that Apple is chasing things in that way, Mm-mm. which is if you're not doing that, it gives you a little bit of room to to cook in the kitchen a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree. And there are other companies out there that took more measured approaches that we just don't know about. I mean, obviously Apple is such a well-known company, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, the other thing I would say too, is interesting is if you look at some private companies, um, and, and I, I actually know a private company and I know some leadership there. And one of the things they talk about is being fiercely private mm-hmm. and the re and, and it's a large company. And the reason they say that is because, they want to be more fiduciary to their stakeholders, not their shareholders. And the and because there are shareholders in that there is internal equity mm-hmm. and things within the company, but no one person has more than two percent of it. There's not a lot of people that have it, and uh, and so they can operate with a long-term mindset because there's no analysts telling them you need to do X or you need to meet these expectations, yeah. and therefore the company has to react to that. Uh, to, to get whatever result that they're looking for. And so I think that there's a lot of value in that. And, and, and that was one of the things actually really, you know, when I was talking to the, to the, to the chairman of that company that I thought was really, really neat. Yeah. That's really, um, really cool. But, and probably arguably a little bit unusual, yeah. sadly, but, but I, but I think that like that outlook um, and I thought that at the time, I'm like, I wish more companies thought this way because I just think that things would be better for everybody if they did. Yeah. Well, I mean, could you imagine, let's, let's say that you're, I don't know, pick a company, you're, you've taken over Meta and you have a very good grip on your products, your services, where your business is going. And then all of a sudden, you know, three analysts from a, from a, from a bank or or whether it's Reuters, wherever, whatever service comes in and, and say, I'm a PhD economist. I think you should be doing this because we're not, you're not, you're it's hurting your earnings per share. Like, can you imagine being in that position? Like I'm, I've got a little bit of ODD, um, oppositional mm-hmm. defiant mm-hmm. disorder. And so I'd probably tell him to go pound sand. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I could, obviously I'm unqualified to be in that position because I right. would, I would just kind of say, look, I understand what's, what's happening with, with this business. I understand my customers I understand. And, and you're wrong. And I, I don't think that's the best way for me to deliver value. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't necessarily say pound sand, but I would say it politely. Right, push back. But but when there are billions of dollars on the line, because he's going to say, well, if you don't do that, I'm going to publish this report with my opinion. And all of a sudden, you know, billion worth, billion dollars worth of capital could just exit your company because this guy disagrees with what you're doing. Mm-hmm. That's a weird position to be in. Very weird position to be in. And then again, go back to, and you've got a bunch of people's compensation who is tied to it yeah. and, and all of these things. So then one of your stakeholders or one of your bigger tranches of stakeholders are going to be your employees. Mm-hmm. And if you aren't serving your shareholder and now you're not serving your employee stakeholder, oh, wow, that's a that's a pretty rough place to be. Yeah. 
Um, and so then do you then make that decision? Like you said, well, I better do this than to pump up my, my, my EPS number and keep the markets happy because then my employees benefit shareholders benefit. Right. And, and what if you just know something that you're not ready to talk about? You got a product mm-hmm. rollout that's, that's, that you think is going to keep things where they are. It's not, you know what I mean? Or whatever it might be, or, or you have a different view on the economy. You might be right. Whereas everyone's betting on a recession. You might be betting, you know, we've gone through the worst of it. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know what I mean? That's just a, yeah. It, it, it all those, the outside pressure is, is an, is a very interesting thing. And I, I certainly don't have a solve mm-hmm. or, or, you know, I, I, I don't think I, there is I, one I, really. Right. I There's... don't think there is one. No. And I can appreciate it. But as a CEO of, of a company like they, you know, that's, you, how you are usually very highly compensated because you have to make very hard decisions, mm-hmm. and you know, hopefully, you know, we've seen, you know, everybody's human, everybody makes mistakes, and you've seen some, some very, very bright people go down in flames. Yeah, yeah, I think because they made the wrong decisions. I think there's some courage that you have to have. Mm-hmm. You, you've got to be willing to say, "You're wrong. We're going to take a hit for for me saying this. You're wrong. This is what I think," and you know. If, if you don't believe in me and what we're doing, get off the bus and hopefully some other people will have a chance to, to get on the bus at a discount when you sell. Mm-hmm. I don't see that being said much in that, not in those exact terms, but I, I don't think I see that as much. You know, I, usually, yeah, I, 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 I don't at all. I, I, unfortunately, I think going back to the very, like the top of what we were talking about, I, I see much more of the knee jerk. Yeah. No matter what they say, the the behaviors indicate much more of a knee jerk quarter to quarter kind of uh, kind of reaction. And and, I, and that's not to say that they don't have a little bit of a longer term viewpoint than quarter to quarter. But I do believe that there's there's moves that are made to impact quarter to quarter and this you know, your 10k at the end of the year kind of a thing. Um, but it again, the actions speak louder than the words every time. Yeah, yeah. So and I think what what we're saying if everyone following is stakeholder value is not it's not worth much Mm -hmm. i think it's a lot of lip service i i would sadly agree with that (laughs) um and i and i think that what's interesting and and i i will say this and you know going back right there were a lot of times there were there were there were years and decades where i don't know that, that that is the truth I think mm-hmm. stakeholders mattered a lot, and and you that is evidenced in you know people working for a company for forty years. Yeah, you, well, you said the pension. The, you said the name retiring, Jack Welch. Mm-hmm. And if if I, I hate to say this, man, but he's he's he had some really bad things that he he promulgated in business. The stack rank system, the mm-hmm. idea of chasing profits quarter to quarter. The guy cooked the books at the end of the day. And the way he did those things became so widespread because everybody wanted to be Jack Welch. Yep. It was as the 80s, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yep. And that, I think that's an infl- literally an inflection point in business. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think you really did see, I think you're spot on, man, where you really did see a lot of change. Um, and up until that point, I think companies actually did have an element of loyalty to their employers and or to their employees rather and communities, unlike what we see now. And 
and it's funny to me when companies come at you with the, the idea that you as an employee should be loyal to them. Oh. And I, I just find that fascinating that, that there's that thinking out there in any way, shape or form, because you get to see it every so often, right? Where mm-hmm. companies, companies are self-serving. They will, they will get rid of you the minute your services are no longer needed. Yeah. And, and so I, I have always taken, and personally, even in my own career, I've taken the approach, and I've gotten some flack for it, where you know, I, I don't hesitate to leave a company if I believe that what I'm doing is better for myself and my family. Now, I've left some people that – that's the hard part, right? Like I've yeah. had some bosses that I've left that, mm-hmm. I, that I think are amazing, and that's the hard part. But I've never left a company and felt anything emotionally about it whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people do, and I know that. And this going back to the recruiting thing, it it's uh, it's very there. It's very hard for a lot of people emotionally to leave companies. Yeah. And and I've had as a recruiter, as a recruiting leader, I've had many conversations with people about it. And whether it's like in the course of business or or your friends, mm-hmm. you know, and and you see it, and and the the reality of it is, is like you got to always look at it as a business decision, not as an emotional decision. Yeah, you know, but people are people, and they tend to look at relationships more as if you're like dating versus a business transaction, which is mm-hmm. at the end of the day what a job is. Well, you know, I'll, I'll you're providing a service, <clears throat> and they're paying you for that service. Yep, I'll put it this way: I've been married 17 years now. Mm-hmm. No company's ever looked at me or talked talked to me or about me the way you know my wife does, <laughs> and that's forever yeah. to me, right? That's that's as forever yeah. as it gets. And, um, I I've been in one company 14 years and it was great, great company. I, I, you know, I, everything was on great terms, but at the end of the day, same thing. I don't, I don't think anyone there would have hesitated to let me go if Mm -hmm. they felt, you know, for whatever reason, just, Oh, it's slow. Go. Um, yeah. And, and I think it's very similar to, but, you know, my father was, he was actually in the Air Force for 26, 27 years. And, mm-hmm. and then he retired and ended up with a company, another company for another 20 years. That I think was the last generation that got to experience careers in the same, in that way. Yeah. Guy had two jobs his entire life. I mean, you just don't see that anymore. You absolutely don't. And I will tell you what's funny. It just made me think of my time at Northrop where you had, you had a tale of two types of people at Northrop. Mm-hmm. Um, you had those with pension, those without pension. Mm-hmm. Because Northrop did away with their pension. And I exact year, it, um, they had a pension for longer than most, but, but they finally did away with their pension for obvious reasons, right? It's super costly. But the people that had pensions were fiercely loyal, more, much more fiercely loyal mm-hmm. to the organization than those that, that, that didn't. And, and, and I get why 100%, you know, they felt, yeah. they felt much more taken care of that the company really cared. And, and in reality too, these are the people that had been there 20 years, 25 yeah. years, you know, yeah. 30 years and, and, and all that. And, and at a variety of levels, right. That doesn't necessarily mean you're a senior person per se, but it, it was very much that, but that was, you know, that is a very much a tale of how things used to be. I think in a lot of companies mm-hmm. that had pensions, that was more common than not. And now it's not common at all. Yeah. And, and, and so that I think spoke to the value of the stakeholder 
because companies were willing to put that money in. And and then I think to your point in the 80s, and I do think it really does hinge around sort of the stuff with GE and Jack Welch, that companies have now taken a very different uh, approach oh, yeah. to how they how they do things, how they operate, um, how they f- care or not about stakeholders and shareholders. 100%. And, and I would say it's evolved so far beyond that since then. Like, mm-hmm. if you think about investment and becoming a shareholder, you you buy you're buying a piece of a company that you have a belief in. And mm-hmm. you know, that's the original intent of I want to buy a piece of that company because I think they're going to do well and I want to share in that wealth. Today, it's essentially if you think of the stock market, I don't want to say it's a casino, but it's a casino. Mm-hmm. And you're investing to make money, not necessarily because it's Apple and I believe in Apple or it's Amazon and I believe in Amazon, you believe Apple's going to generate trillions of dollars in, in revenue. So you're going to buy that or I'm going to go. I don't think they're going to do that. I'm going to go buy options or short that stock. And there's so many products in the, in the stock market that just distort the original intent of becoming an investor. Mm-hmm. And you wrap all of that stuff up together and you have a very perverse system from what it originally was. And from when we're talking about, right, let's say 1970, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, you you didn't necessarily go into the stock market because you're, you want to go short everybody. Right. Exactly. Who can I short and make some quick bucks off of? Um, I'm guilty of it. Like, you know, if I see someone going downhill, I'm going to go short it. Because mm-hmm. I can, but I don't. don't what is it? Don't, don't don't hate the player, hate the game. Exactly, exactly. And and I think you know you start to see that that kind of stuff. And when when people you become a meme stock in that case, and we've seen what can happen to meme stocks, whether it's GameStop or AMC or whatever. When when people glom onto that, it basically artificially manipulates your share price. But, you know, David, I think we we kind of made our point, right, about stakeholder versus shareholder value. Uh, yeah, I, I would I would say so. I think the the horse is beaten and dead for <laughs> sure. Uh, and I think that it's pretty clear where you and I stand on it. Yeah, um, for sure. So it you know, but there can be many others out there that disagree for all kinds of different reasons. And. I, you know, honestly, that's, that's okay. And I would, I would love to hear that. You know, I think this is um, something that's never going to be going away, at least probably never in our lifetime. And so I think that it, you know, really the takeaway one is just be aware of it. And then two, you know, think about, you know, if, if it's something that you don't think is, is right, you know, what little things can you do to help potentially change it? Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, Individually, that might seem like a pretty, pretty big mountain to climb, but, you know, but all, all of every change that's ever happened starts with something like that. And so, you know, I, w- I would just say that if it's, if you're, you know, if you see a right that you think you're wrong that you need to write, hey, this, 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 this could be a time to, you know, think about that. Yeah. You know, I think as, as talent acquisition professionals, keep an eye on it. I think this is something that you sell to your, to your candidates too. I think if, if you're in an organization that is clearly, in the stakeholder camp, you've got gold on in your hands. And that's something that you can talk to your candidates about, um, especially if you've got leadership 
that is going to stick up for them versus the the analysts and and, and uh, shareholders. Not to say that that taking care of shareholders is bad necessarily, but you know, to our point, David, I think we, everyone knows where we stand on it. But um, I certainly think as as recruiters, we should keep an eye on it. And again, if you have ideas, I'd love to hear them. Um, I think this is such a sticky wicket, and it's it's not something that's going to have a clear solve. But you know, I think. Um, ideas would be interesting to see around this. So let us know at that recruiter show at gmail.com. If you have any comments or questions, and again, if you just want to be on the show and hang out for a few minutes, let us know. Happy to have you. All right. Anything else, David? No, nothing for me. Thank you everybody again for your time and for, for listening to Roddy and I uh, chat about things and, and uh, you know, really pleased with uh, all the comments that we've gotten so far and certainly hope to, to continue that. All right, we'll see you next week on That Recruiter Show.